Season 2, Episode 1 with Chuck Smith talking about Poigler Berlin and Duolingo. This is the Actual Fluency Podcast, helping you become a better language learner by providing motivating weekly inspiration, as well as top tips and tricks from expert guests. And now, your host, Chris Broholm. Hello and welcome everyone to another season of the Actual Fluency Podcast and how exciting it is to be back and finally uh, present to you the new season of the podcast. Before we begin digging into the interview with Chuck Smith, where we talk about Duolingo and also the Polyglot Berlin Gathering, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who supported me in the last two months uh, in the break of the podcast, and particularly those who supported the crowdfund, the fundraiser I was doing for season two. And with your help, I have upgraded the equipment, which should really in season two create much better quality recordings and i really hope you enjoy it i also want to thank people who send me messages of encouragement and i really appreciate every single message and if you have a message for me uh, it could be criticism it can be a praise i always like to uh, to hear any of those two or just a general question you're more than welcome to send me an email on actualfluency.com there's a little send me a message link at the top menu but for today, I just uh, wanted to to say thank you. So here it is. This is season two. We're back. And I'm so excited to be back because, you know, having this kind of division with season one and two really allows me to kind of refocus and restructure. And I've changed a lot of the ways that things happen behind the scenes as well. So I'm excited to show you that kind of what I believe will be a better quality on average. And... Um, I just wanted to briefly mention uh, another point. After the fundraiser, I decided to open up a VIP section of the website. And basically what it is, is just for people who want a little bit more out of actual fluency. So for a very small amount, you can become a member and you get invited to a membership area where there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on with the podcast. So could be something like outtakes where I screw up or it could be something like deleted episodes. It could be bonus features and particularly bonus features is something that I'm really happy to provide because you know some people asked me during the fundraiser once it was over they were like oh I missed the fundraiser is there any way I can you know still support the show and you know what you support the show just by listening you know just as long as you come along that's really all I'm here for it's not about money or compensation or anything I you know I would do this even if it, it cost me 10 times what it costs me now it's, it's not a it's not about that it's about sharing the information and getting the word out there and really all the messages that I get from people saying oh your podcast helped me so much and I really have progressed a lot more thanks to you I mean those messages really mean the world to me and they w mean way more than any kind of you know financial compensation could ever make so in that sense, I, I'm not too fussed about it. But, you know, I realized that some people do want to show the support. And I figured, what could I give in return? Because I really don't want to just do a, a sort of a donation button. Not a big fan of that anyway. But I wanted to give you something back. And what I'm doing is not only do you get access to the forum, you get the behind the scenes stuff, the sort of exclusive content that hasn't been released anywhere. You also get also get direct downloads of the MP3 files and furthermore i'm doing this cool thing where i put up the guests who's going to come on the show ahead of time and gives you the opportunity to ask questions 
and I will ask those questions at the end of the recording sessions, and those questions and answers will then be an exclusive for the VIPs. It still means that the general uh, interview and everything will still be 100% available for free, but it's just for those people who want to give a little bit back to the actual fluency, support the development, and also show their support and join a language community because we've got a nice forum there and we've already started to put some posts in there. And I really believe that the best way to learn languages is through community. And I hope that we can foster a really cool community in there. So if you're interested in the VIP membership, check it out, actualfluency.com forward slash VIP. And that's about it. So I hope you enjoy this first uh, episode of season two. I'm so stoked to be back. And if you have any questions, feedback, or comments, please do use that uh, feedback form to send me a message link because I'm really, I love to hear from you guys and, you know, you're the reason I do this. So thank you for for your patience in the last month where there hasn't been an episode. And uh, welcome back. And now we're going to have an episode every Friday, 8 p.m., just like good old times. And, uh, you know, I have Chuck Smith on today and I hope you enjoy the, the interview. <laughs> With me today, I have my good friend Chuck Smith, and if you remember Chuck from the last season, we talked a lot about Esperanto and con languages, and also the Polyglot Gathering in Berlin from last year, and if you have any interest in those topics, I suggest you go back and listen to that episode once again. Today, we're not going to talk about Esperanto, but we are going to talk about the next edition of the Polyglot Gathering in Berlin, and we're also going to talk about another little hobby of Chuck's, and that has been to contribute to the Duolingo Esperanto program. So I suppose in a way we're coming full circle. But anyway, Chuck, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you Good doing Good to be today? here. I'm doing well. And yourself? Fantastic. I couldn't be better, actually. Um, recovering from a cold, and that's always uh, a good feeling when you feel it's on the way out. But uh, before we move any further, can you uh, just uh, let us know what's been going on since last time, and uh, how are you looking forward to the next Polyglot Gathering? So uh, it's exciting. The Polyglot Gathering is coming up on May 1st through the 4th. And what's the exciting part about it right now is that we're trying to uh, run, raise funds to hire a professional film team to come from a film school in Berlin to um, shoot all the lectures. So, I mean, if you watch the coverage from last year, you can notice that the slides can be quite difficult to read at times. And so we want to really make sure everything's clear and crisp. And also the, we want to raise the sound quality a lot as well. Right. Yeah, I've seen I've I've seen the uh, the con uh, the contribution, and I've also uh, added a a bit of my own. And I can only fully I mean I can fully recommend people do it because what I've heard from people last year who were not at the gathering, they've seen some of these videos on YouTube of some of the talks, and while they have been enjoyable to watch, and uh, you know as as far as quality goes, they are watchable, but you know it is a small flip cam in the corner of the the lecturing hall it's not exactly uh, high quality but if you get this team in you know you're going to get amazing quality talks for you know you can watch them over and over again you can watch it after and if you can't make it to the uh, gathering itself that's a perfect opportunity so um do you want to give people the uh, the address right off the bat so they don't forget it uh, it's best to just go to indiegogo.com and then search for polyglot gathering perfect It'll be the easiest way to find it and there are some bonuses there for people to, if they contribute, they get some language learning materials and products. So I can uh, fully recommend that. Absolutely. We've got amazing deals from Transparent Language, from Benny Lewis, the Fluent in Three Months, and 
Pod 101. Fantastic. Yeah, so uh, I, I totally recommend people go there. And if, uh, if you didn't get that link, I'll put it in the show notes as well so people can check that out uh, for later easy review. But let's talk about the gathering itself. Well, if you we reflected on it uh, earlier in the year, but what kind of what would be different this year compared to the one last year? Well, this year we have uh, more space. Well, also to be there are more people there. So last year we had a little over two hundred people, and this year we'll have three hundred twenty people. And um, we'll also have we had one very large room last year, and this year we'll have two very large rooms. So we'll be able to fit a lot more people in to watch uh, even more content than we had last year. So another thing that's exciting with the filming is that with the three parallel sessions going out at the same time, even if you're attending, you can't see everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to also see the uh, the stuff in the other room that you missed. <laughs> right. And I'll just say that I was there and I was living at the place it was uh, where it was taking place. And even then, I still missed about, I would say, more than half of the talks. One, because there were some talks going on at once, but also because you just you just socializing you know you're caught up at lunch or you meet some really interesting people you talk in a in a language you might not be you know have tons of opportunities to practice and suddenly the time is just flying away so having all the videos for later would be a, a huge huge benefit for for everyone i believe yes and we even um have an extra room this year that we hope to just set aside for um just people to chat there so you don't have to just sit in the uh, foyer outside the, the main <laughs> hall. It was nice, though. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to have more space for just people to just to get to know each other. Right. Because um, one thing I think is I like it a lot of um, – I find at a lot of conferences the most value you even get is from the, just the coffee breaks or just right. breaks in between uh, talks. So I want to really help people connect on that level as well. Yeah, that's what – I can totally echo that, and I think the gathering was one of the best examples because – People were just socializing all the time, and it, even if in the bar or in the lunchroom or in the foyer, as she was saying, and some people even went out, and that was really the strength of the gathering. And I think that's the the biggest benefit of such a conference is that you allow so much social time, whereas you know other conferences might be more packed in terms of talks. I know for a fact that the you know the conference, the Pugger conference, is is only two days. And it's basically full of talks, so there's very limited time for socializing. But you, you've got that covered in, in Berlin. Yeah, one thing I'm really excited about this year, too, is that we're getting um, Yomo to come and uh, perform for us. And he will be singing in 25 languages in this concert. Oh. <laughs> wow, that's He's, pretty incredible. He used to have the um, Guinness Book of World Records for most languages sung at a concert. <laughs> <laughs> that's really uh, uh, apt right for the uh, occasion <laughs> that's what we thought as well <laughs> it's fantastic and and we'll see the return of all the popular uh, events and you know the the tea room and the crocodile room <laughs> alligator and uh, all the th- there'll be nothing taken out i i hope that's right and we also have the uh, book fair this year where right. people can um um sell their say they have their they've written a book they could sell their book and if they don't uh, need the table to be branded, we even provide that space for indies for free. And that's perfect, I, I think, because a lot of time people have written these language learning books. It's not a huge market. You know, if you're just writing about, I don't know, uh, Korean vowels or something, you know, that's 
pretty niche <laughs> and if you right. self-published it or something you know having that kind of uh, a space i think is is a good initiative and it can i i suspect there'll be a nice sort of talk in that room as well you know where, oh did you read that what did you think and not just for the authors but also for the people who enjoy to read about the literature and the languages right and our program is looking stellar this year as well it's the different tracks of learning languages and linguistics life as a polyglot practical language courses and workshops and uh, the evening program which i've already talked a bit about right and so it's uh, and that's all on polyglotberlin.com just click on the program you and can see register soon right because there's a uh, there weren't that many seats left last time i checked um, we're closing it very soon i'm not sure if we'll even have seats available when you um, publish this oh no I better, I better publish this uh, quickly then. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, people, if you have the opportunity, I highly recommend it. And when I went last year, I haven't denied the fact that it was a truly life-changing experience. Uh, just because you're among so many great learners and it's so inspirational to see and talk to people who have just learned so many languages and, and so many of them are so humble beings as well. And it, it really, it it gives meaning to all these hours that we put in at the desk, so... Uh, and I, I just got to say as well, I uh, really congratulate you on the job that you did last year and, and, and are you. doing this year as well. You know, it's really a lot of work. We know that. And the fact that you're keeping the, the conference fees so reasonable allows more people to participate. And, and you know, that's just that makes it all worth it. And it's a it's a great effort. So I want to congratulate you on what can only be the <laughs> an epic event in language learning. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking at the participants list now, and I see we have 322 participants from 50 countries. Right, and you said you had 320 spaces. Yes, but uh, we do have a waiting list. Right, so and you can sign up for the waiting list. Are those 320 confirmed, or are they just registered and awaiting payment? They're registered and awaiting payment. Right. So well, some some, of some might, are confirmed, obviously, but right, some of them might have uh, not, might not participate anyway. Right. And always at the last minute, people will um, drop out too. It's just right. other personal concerns or things like that. Of course. But anyway, people go to polyglotberlin.com and register immediately, actually. <laughs> and it's That's a funny true. story. I, I mentioned this uh, last year as well, but you did the registration for the first one kind of uh, in a close group first. It was like, in a, you know, you were kind of spreading it out from the inside. And then after... I don't know, 50, 100 people had signed up, or maybe even more, you send it out to the to the rest of the world to see. And I didn't know anyone in the circle at, at that time. So mm -hmm. when I saw the Facebook post, I was like, whoa, what is this? And I just signed up <laughs> immediately. I remember I didn't even check my calendar. I didn't even you know check my bank account. I just said, I want to join this. And I just <laughs> registered. That's great. And like three <laughs> days later, it was sold out. So, you know, it was, it was important. And I think... The people who have been there can definitely confirm that that's you know it's such an amazing experience that if you have the chance and i think some people listening to this will have the chance go take that chance because it's really uh, fascinating and, and obviously if you if you don't have the chance then if you support our indiegogo campaign then you can watch all the videos online for free right well, Supporting our campaign would be <laughs> useful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you get a lot out of supporting and, and also the fact that, you know, it's it's a lot of diverse topics. I really, like you said before, I really enjoyed that there's so many different topics and there's something for everyone. Right, exactly. So, but Chuck, not everything is perfect in uh, Poigot Berlin. 
What about the Wi-Fi? Because I have to ask you this. <laughs> we have some backup options that we have planned, but uh, the um, like getting the high-speed Wi-Fi didn't go as smoothly as we hoped it would. Right. I can say that. Um, but yeah, we have some options to at least make sure that um, speakers will have uh, good Wi-Fi when they're giving presentations. Right. That's but yeah, thing. unfortunately, I can't make any. I've done my best. We've we both we've the whole the whole team has tried many different routes. <laughs> it's kind of funny watching the incredibly weird concoctions of possible internet that I've seen. Right. Because <laughs> um, we have um, Andy on board this year. He's um, provided uh, or he's helped provide internet for um, many Esperanto events around Europe, and so we have. He's very capable of just whatever is available to make it as available as possible <laughs> <laughs> fantastic so and you know very good hands. you know i'm only half joking of course because <laughs> um you know when you come to a conference like that and you have so many great opportunities to talk to people and hang out and socialize there really isn't that much time for for wi-fi it was just because it's a bit of an inside joke but the wi-fi was so bad that nobody could even check email <laughs> that uh, so i had i had i had to ask you and uh uh, and I know that you're doing everything you can to um, to improve it for the next time around, right? And we also, I mean, we also take it as quite a great compliment when the uh, biggest complaint is about our Wi-Fi, because right. <laughs> that's something it's we, we we were just told by the hostel they would take care of it, and we said okay, <laughs> right? And never trust the hostel. I guess is the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a. I mean, there's um, many challenges from Wi-Fi. There's some um, whole essays online about conference wi-fi and just how incredibly challenging it is right between dealing with um the like the location that's providing it and and the technical issues that go along with providing say internet for 300 people <laughs> yeah of course i mean 300 people on any internet would be stressful uh, particularly right. if it's not set up in in a i mean it has to be some kind of fiber solution and you know the the there has to be a lot of access points as well otherwise you won't get wi-fi in the lobby and or in the rooms and so um, just being able to check that email i, I think is fine but on the, uh, in any case you know if i have to take a week off the internet i mm -hmm. i wouldn't complain because it's it, it's still uh, uh, totally worth it um, but have yeah but having said all that we're very happy with the location because we chose this location because it's a hotel slash hostel right so it basically if if someone is a student, they can stay in a room with eight beds and re really cheaply. And um, I think it's 18 euros a night, if I'm not mistaken. And um, if if someone wants a bit more, then they can get a single room for themselves or even, yeah. So, and I mean, if they really want something better, they can find a four-star hotel in Berlin. And it's, uh, it's Berlin after all. Yeah. I think it's a lovely, uh, lovely uh, location also because it provides these uh, social areas like the bar, for instance, I think is brilliant. Mm, yeah. uh, rooftop bar, you know, can't be too loud up there, of course, because there's residents around. But, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's a, it's a great venue and there's some table football and a lot of <laughs> enjoyable things like karaoke, which was uh, interesting. It's, uh, yeah. And I think our, I think <laughs> our second biggest complaint was that it was too hot. So we moved it from June to May. Right, <laughs> it's gonna make a big difference. But we said these are great complaints to get. <laughs> it really is, and it was it was fantastic weather though. You have to you have to mm, yeah. It was very nice. I don't know if that's luck or bad luck, but it was definitely fantastic weather all all throughout, and and a great event. But you know, we summers are usually very nice. 
Yeah, I think so. And it also gives you an opportunity to go out in the evening without wearing twenty coats. Or, uh, but yeah, it's it's a great event, and you know, I think I think we've covered sort of the uh, the the good aspects of the event, and I can only hope that people show up. Uh, I know that some people are a little bit nervous about showing up at these events. Uh, do you have any any comments for for people uh, that way? Of course, I've I've done my best to try and dispel these myths about. Um, you know, being nervous in front of a, a conference, but do you have any uh, a comments for that? I think a lot of people have noticed that um, you can really just go up and start talking with people. I mean, look at the badge and see what languages you have in common. You already have something there. And you'll find that people are very friendly and receptive to new people. So, And, I mean, if you want um, more views from more participants, um, on our website at polyglotberlin.com, you can also see a five-minute trailer just in generally about the event from different points of view of different participants. Right. And in general, don't be nervous because, you know, peop we all <laughs> we all have similar minds in, in this and uh, people are just so open and welcome, like you say. It's, it's amazing. Like I was just coming there with my – I just only found out about language learning and uh, I came there with my two and a half languages or whatever and I'd never mm -hmm. ever felt like – I was being judged or anything. People are so open and supportive of whatever you, whatever I was doing or saying. So, yeah. and I mean, we have people come there speaking two languages. We have people coming there speaking thirty-five languages. So. Right, <laughs> everything and, in between. Yeah, I guess it, I guess some people think when you call it like a polyglot conference or sorry, gathering polyglot gathering, <laughs> some people instantly assume that oh, how many languages do I need to be able to join? But it, I guess it's a polyglot mindset gathering in a way, mm -hmm. where where it's not about the number. It's certainly not about the number, right. but it's more about how you think about the whole process about learning languages, culture, and, and and just having an open mind. And I think most people have that. To be fair, it's a it's a great community. Yeah. So on average, um, people speak five and a half languages there, according right. <laughs> to the statistics. But I mean, if you only speak a couple of languages, that's perfectly fine too, as long as you're interested in languages. That's the most important thing. Yeah, for the motivation or inspiration, I think it's it's huge. Absolutely, because I mean, I attended the Polyglot Conference in Budapest, and uh, at that time I had three rusty languages, and I've I've shined them up a little bit by now. So just from um, just from meeting such amazing polyglots. Yeah, and it gives you a goal. Inspiration. It gives yeah, you a exactly. goal as well. If you if you if you're looking towards the polyglot gathering, you might be saying, "Well, it's a good opportunity for me to practice my Icelandic or mm -hmm. Somali or whatever people are working on there uh, these days." So I can definitely recommend it. So I hope I can get my Polish up by then. But that's a, yeah, that's go for coming it. Coming up quickly. <laughs> I'll, I'll be working on my uh, Russian and Esperanto in term in time for the event because last time there were a lot of Esperanto speakers. Mm -hmm. And they were very nice people. Uh, so I was a bit, uh, well, disappointed in myself that I didn't speak Esperanto because there were so many nice uh, Esperanto speakers. Obviously, they embraced me with open arms in, in English. But uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> now that I somewhat speak it, it's going to be interesting to go back and, uh, I'd, I guess, join <laughs> join in. <laughs> right, it's actually funny because the Polyglot Gathering is uh, based on Esperanto youth conferences. So I guess for a lot of Esperanto speakers there, it already feels very familiar. Right. For them, it's the 20th uh, gathering and not the second. 
Right. That's fantastic. Anyway, Chuck, I think we've uh, we've we've covered the Polyglot gathering, and I'm really looking forward to it. And if people are interested in signing up, you know, be quick, polyglotberlin.com, and then uh, look at the um, crowdfund on Indiegogo. Just search for Polyglot gathering, and uh, you can get early access to the videos for as little as 10 euros, I believe. That's right. And there are also some other nice bonuses from trusted and knowledgeable uh, language learning companies and personalities. So yeah, I also want to, I also want to thank those uh, companies for being so generous with uh, their offerings. And these, I mean, these deals are just much lower than you can get from them directly. That's perfect. I love that, you know, the kind of the community can work together in that way. It's, it, it's, it's a lovely feeling. But anyway, the second topic of, of our agenda today is uh, something we've been talking about for a while, and that is the Duolingo. And the reason that I'm talking to you today about this is that you are the main person behind the up-and-coming Duolingo Esperanto course. And That's of right. of course, we talked about Esperanto last time, but this time, uh, you know, let's talk about the Duolingo process. You know, how, how, do you actually, how did you actually get in touch with the Duolingo guys? Did they come to you and say, hey, we need an Esperanto course? Or did people actually say to them, you really need to make an Esperanto course? Can you find someone to do it? It was a little of both. Um, I mean, even when Duolingo was in its early stages, like when Duolingo was beta, they were, um, um, I mean, I even contacted them directly and said, are you looking at Esperanto? And they said, it's on the roadmap. So they <laughs> even said that, but I could I could tell it wasn't a priority. But that's I mean that's perfectly understandable when you're working with the major languages at first. Um, yeah. So, um, but one thing that uh, Louis van An said as um, he's the founder of and CEO of Duolingo was that uh, even from the beginning, the most requested language on the platform was always Esperanto. Wow, is uh, yeah quite amazing. And it's funny at the time he he snickered a bit when he said it, but um, he's come around since then. That um, like um, he came into our chat room one day and said he's really looking forward to to learning it when it comes out. So really excited about that. Um, to answer your question about um, how it started was well, they have these surveys that go out um, on which language do you want to learn, and um, and the and one month the survey the Esperanto was on top of the most wanted to learn language. I think it, Esperanto and Swedish were the the top two. Wow. And so I think that finally convinced them to um, to launch the Esperanto course. And ever since the beginning of the incubator, the incubator is the system where people can develop the courses for Duolingo. Ever since the beginning of that, they've always had an ability to um, apply to um, to create these courses. So in very early stages, I also um, filled out the application, why I think I'm um, capable for the job and things like that. Right. So, all right, that's cool. I, I I can't believe that Esperanto, you know, as as big as a movement as it is, could not only be the most requested, but also like win a survey. That seems <laughs> it, it it seems incredible. But obviously, that show that just shows you the demand for it, and, and you've been yeah. working hard at it uh, for for a while now. When did you start working on the Esperanto course? I think that was in October or November. Not sure. One of those months. Right, and you you now, I can I say you're getting close to a better release, or is it still a little bit out? Yeah, right now we're at eighty nine percent complete, which is really exciting. Right, and I saw just um, this morning we had our fifteenth thousand sign up, 
to to be notified when the, the course goes live. Wow, is also really exciting. Yeah, that's a lot of people sitting there waiting for you to uh, <laughs> get getting gears. Right. Yeah. One thing. One other thing I wanted to mention is the, about the demand for es the Esperanto course. I think a lot of the demand comes from the fact that um, most traditional language companies don't have an Esperanto course. Right. So they they look at the market probably by number of speakers and they say, um, yeah, we don't think the market's large enough. But the trouble is when when most of the companies are saying that, then that creates a market. Then mm -hmm. there's no really good place to learn it. So then then there's huge demand goes up for it so yeah that makes sense and there's no like uh, michelle thomas esperanto or, uh pimsler esperanto or, right so obviously if duolingo i guess duolingo also realizes this and that's why they prioritize it over so many other languages is that the demand is there but there's no real supply in a way you know there's no nobody supplying it except for i guess learn you and a few select other places right and I mean, you also got, um, let's see, um, well, I think it's also just to build um, goodwill in the community as well. I mean, if you have a, their community and so many people requesting Esperanto, then it's nice to give back to the community and give them what they're, what they're requesting too. Sure, exactly. So can you tell us about the, the technical process of creating Esperanto course? Well, I guess a Duolingo course. Uh, did when When you sit down and you log into the, the back end and you see all the the uh, materials are, are the materials generated or is it uh, has it been converted from another course or how, how does it actually create the content okay so first of all you have complete freedom and flexibility about the course so you can um, basically move any um, skills around wherever you need them and um, but um, so when we started it was actually funny because they um, they gave us a Spanish tree, a sort of a template, mm -hmm. and we, um, yeah, we said that Spanish probably isn't the closest language to um, to Esperanto. So they actually then ended up giving us an English tree, and then we just worked from there, like a, just a standard English template from learning from English. Right. So um, we've been using that, and um, I mean, you have things where, um, like. Well, for one thing is the verbs, for example, in other languages, are, you need you definitely need your past tense, maybe your past te past verbs too, and things like that, or maybe separate different kinds of past tense, whereas Esperanto is so easy, we even threw past and future in the same lesson, because it's just so simple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. East is past and past and os is future. So. Right. Um, so things like that. But then you've got things like um, da and de, which is like um, the two two ways of saying of. It's like if you say glasso de vino, that means a wine glass. Whereas if you say glasso da vino, it means a, a glass of wine. Right. So we have a, a lesson pretty early about that. So we, we found it's really nice to give us the flexibility we need to um, to build the skill tree the way we want it. So when, you, when you're actually creating the course, you'll, you'll see you've got uh, different uh, lessons at, within a skill. And then each lesson can be uh, two to nine words, and uh, and each you put in the words you want to teach. At the beginning, you're pretty much just copying. I mean, translating the words they recommend, because in pretty much every language, the same words are right. the common ones: me, you, they, um, boy, man, woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and is of course. Um, so then you take. Um, 
then for each uh, word you need to have three examples so you write a you write a sentence including that word and then you'll write um, all possible like so so I'll write an Esperanto sentence and then I'll write all the possible translations into English of it that I can think of right and then from the best English translation then I write all the best like reverse translations to Esperanto from there right so, so you learn both directions it's a lot of and, work for, yes. <laughs> for one for one uh, one word or one lesson one example right but you need to um repeat the vocabulary and preferably in the context of what it would be used in right. so, so that's why there's always three word three I, ideally we'd have more than three sentences for every uh, word but um and sometimes we do it just depends on well obviously the word estas is has a lot of examples right. <laughs> <laughs> so, i can see yeah well that's great and and then it goes into once you've reached this critical mass it goes into beta right is it when it goes into beta does that mean that enough of it's finished to where you can throw it out or is it that you've finished all of it and then going after beta is just fine tuning and adding more sort of uh, horizontally right so it's the second um um so we released the course finished uh, we actually want to add extra part onto the tree so we actually um, we trim the tree down to um, like a more substantial, like just the main part we want to teach, not the incredibly advanced stuff, because people were just so clamoring to get on this course so quickly. <laughs> and we can add the rest of the tree later. But uh, with beta, we're basically saying this is a complete course. And but the problem is, like I told you, we're trying to think of all the possible, say, English translations from an Esperanto sentence. Mm -hmm. But we're obviously not going to be able to think of everything someone could possibly enter. Right. And so that's sort of what the beta phase is for, is for people to go and um, like enter sentences and occasionally they'll get a sentence that's uh, like the, they'll write it, it's valid sentence, but we didn't think of that possibility, especially with Esperanto being so flexible. I mean, one trouble, one problem I'm seeing is that, um, for example, with adjective orders, adjectives can come before the noun or after, but you typically put them before. But if someone puts it after, it's still a valid, correct sentence. Right. And even if you have a sim very simple sentence like uh, "Mi havas hundon," I have a dog, all of those um, words can actually be um, uh, put in any order. So you could say "havas mi hundon" or "hundon havas mi" because mm -hmm. the um, that end marker on "hundo" uh, makes it the object of the sentence. And so, just with a very simple sentence, you've got six possibilities already. And there's no way we're going through the course and putting every possibility for every sentence on there. So, so we're putting the most natural translations on there, and then we figure if people write um, different um, translations, then they can send a report, and then we can add them later. Right. To see what people actually do want. To, see how people do want to translate uh, sentences. Yeah, I've actually I've actually done the. I was testing out Duolingo for a, a while, and I was doing the Danish course. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to trying to test out of it, and I don't know if it's ironic or not, but I couldn't test out of everything uh, because it's you know it has its quirks, the Duolingo. And if you right. hit a, if you hit a typo or if you, I mean, I have fat fingers, so sometimes I hit the enter button without putting the last letter in, and and so on and so forth. And I had a few sentences where I suggested alternate translations, and they were accepted as well. After sometimes after a long time, but eventually mm -hmm. they were accepted so i can 
it's a bit like I, I suppose in a way you 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 sort of crowdsourcing the course right from you know you you're building the the skeleton the the basic course but then everyone is sort of giving feedback in a very controlled way so you can add those correct answers right I mean that's the idea behind a beta public test is that you have lots of testers who will give you feedback to help you improve the the course or the product or whatever it is that you're testing right and I suppose we should talk a little bit about you know, Duolingo in general, because it's been under a bit of criticism uh, mm -hmm. for, for I've seen it for a long time, and, and recently as well. And I just wanted to know, what do you what do you think about the sort of uh, the concept? And I suppose the, the most criticized aspect is the it has machine pronunciation. So it's a synthesized uh -huh. voice. And the other complaint that I often see is that the sentences are so weird. Like uh, you sent me something about a bear. I don't know the bear. Like your your bear drinks, drinks beer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what do you think about 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 these points of criticism? Well, I think with the um, I'll start with the sentences first. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the funny sentences are there just to keep people laughing, just to keep people going with the course. Right. Um, so it's not just like your boring textbook, you know, class in high school. But uh, you can just laugh about things and translate lots of sentences in Dutch about ducks, for example. <laughs> <laughs> like every every course has a bit of its its own quirks. I mean, especially with the Esperanto course, we're really trying to make the sentences as useful as possible. Um, so we're trying to avoid having too many of those funny sentences. But we also want to throw in a, a funny sentence from now and then. So I know I have I have someone testing the. Um, uh, course right now like before it's going into beta even so we can just initial out I mean scratch over those initial bugs and I think what was the sentence that she had trouble with was um, oh yeah the the coffee goes oh no no the cafe is in a bad park <laughs> okay but it's also funny in those in the very early lessons you also have the problem that you have very few words you can use because you may be working I mean the very first lesson you can use an entire vocabulary of seven words. Right. <laughs> so, so you have to be saying things. I am. I am a man. I am the man. Right. <laughs> you are the woman. <laughs> right. I can things see like that's that. a bit of a constraint as well. Yeah, but it also makes things manageable for the student. That, um, like the person testing the course, she wasn't having any trouble just advancing through, and just like it looked pretty, pretty easy for her. So right. Quite happy about that. Yeah, but I found some, it interesting, definitely. Yeah, so she found some weird things that I wasn't expecting. So, but there's also stuff that I have a whole page of notes, and I'm going back over and fixing that stuff in the course. So, hopefully, the people listening to this won't actually have to uh, deal with that. Right, there's <laughs> a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, and and actually, how many how many are you uh, contributing to the actual uh, sentences? So right now we're five people. Right, and we're all. I mean, uh, Ruth is basically taking her taken on herself um, the task of sort of being the overviewer of the entire course itself, whereas I'm more like um, the just the general project manager, I guess you would say, with like uh, also taking care of just contact with Duolingo and um, contact with, well, the press right now, for example. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And, um, yeah, one guy, um, Detlef from Canada, actually came in to proofread the entire course. That was quite a undertaking oh. as well. I can imagine. It's, so we didn't want to get to the last um, 
the last day and say, oh, we should proofread this thing too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mammoth task. Right. So he, yeah, he finished it when we were about two thirds done creating the course. And so, yeah, and then he started writing sentences as well. So it's pretty exciting. That's cool. That's cool. What do you think about the the other uh, points of criticism that, well, I, I guess... Oh, it, the text-to-speech. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so I've, from what I understand, the, um, the it's using, I guess you'd say robotic, that's not really a nice word for it, but uh, like um, synthetic uh, text-to-speech because um, it would be way too expensive for Duolingo to actually... It's not the it's not the actual recording. It's the bandwidth of sending those 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 files files every time to send it from Duolingo servers. Whereas if another service provides that, it's a whole lot cheaper. Um, and, and I guess it's also a problem when you're using it on the go. If you're on the phone, and some people have limited data plans, right? If you have to get, I you know I know it's not the biggest files in the world, but there's a big difference between a, a text to speech and then raw mp3 files or whatever absolutely well so that's a good, good argument good argument. so we're actually yeah we're working on the um text-to-speech for esperanto now and looking at it and we found it's really really close to polish right so we've been um playing around with like um changing esperanto letters to polish letters and stuff and just to <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting the... does that mean that polish esperanto speakers have a the more natural accent of Esperanto, or, or what would you say? I've, I've heard that Croatian speakers tend to have the the best accent. Right, but well, how's that judged? <laughs> <laughs> Is it like, how do they know if there's no kind of if there's no home of the? Right, it's it's actually interesting because when the first um, uh, Universale Congresso happened in 1905. Uh, people met from all over Europe speaking Esperanto, and they found at the end of the week they'd actually all developed this sort of neutral accent. Wow. <laughs> so you can imagine this. You've got Hungarians speaking with Frenchmen, speaking with Englishmen, speaking with Russians. and <laughs> Yeah, I can't really imagine that, but it sounds like a nice story anyway. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think it's, so it's 650 people that first meeting. I can't imagine the excitement in the air in France to... <laughs> yeah, so strange, and it's the one hundredth this year. The hundredth uh, Universal Congress. That's right. In Lille, in Lille, France. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So people are interested in in a somewhat formal conference. I've heard it described as. Then mm -hmm. you should go to uh, Lille. Yeah, I've heard they've already got two thousand signups, and they've it's still three four months before it. I think yeah, three or four months before it happens. So it could be the biggest one yet. It could be, although I think the one in Warsaw, the 100-year anniversary would probably be the biggest. That was just short of 6,000 participants. Right. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot yeah. of Esperanto speakers at one and, place. And if there's anyone uh, young out there listening, oh, for young in Esperanto, that means like 30 and under. But even if you're a little over 30, that's fine too. Um, or even if you're a lot older, it's okay. <laughs> we have There's the International Youth uh, um, Congress in um, Wiesbaden in Germany this year. Right. Is that at the end of the year? It's in July. Oh, okay. So it's during summer. Yeah. Perfect. Um, can I just ask you about the Duolingo? Because, uh, and I, I think I asked you this in private once, but mm -hmm. why are you doing it? <laughs> because, you know, 
it seems like it's a really, really lot of work. And I know that contributors on Duolingo don't receive a salary. Right. So why did you why did you say yes to it? I mean, I think it's the same reason why I, um, well, why I founded Wikipedia also about in two thousand one in Esperanto. Um, just saw this amazing potential for this, and even though I'm not getting paid for it, I really wanted to um, help. Well, in the case of Wikipedia, I wanted to help people be able to build a, a knowledge. Well, we all know Wikipedia, I think, but uh, to build a knowledge base an encyclopedia. And actually for Esperanto that was even more exciting because there was no general knowledge encyclopedia. There were encyclopedias about the movement but not about just general knowledge. So that was really exciting at that time with Wikipedia. And with Duolingo I see much of the same spirit. Like a lot of what I felt when I was founding Wikipedia it feels like history repeating itself now with uh, Duolingo except the fact with Duolingo is that um, It'll actually be for people that are not currently in the Esperanto community. It's right. people who are interested in learning it, which makes it possibly even more exciting. So I think this could be one of the the biggest projects in the history of Esperanto. I hate to not, not sound modest in that sense, <laughs> but, but from what I've seen from like looking at other courses, like um, like I when I com compare it to um, um, like, or for one thing, I compare it to Ukrainian because that was. Um, we started creating the course at the same time, and last I checked, I think they had about, say, three times less the number of um, um, people signed up to get notified when it came out. And, um, and Ukrainian is quite a large language. Yeah, well, not a, not a large one, but it's a considerable one, of course. And um, also, I, I put Esperanto more on the level of uh, Irish, and, and Irish is, is past the 200,000 user mark a couple months ago, and um, and I'm pretty sure that by the end of this year, um, that at least two hundred thousand people will have started learning Esperanto via Duolingo. And if I want to do something for Esperanto, I can't think of anything that I could do that would have more impact than that. Two hundred thousand people. Right. So right now, there's fifteen thousand people signed up just to be notified. Right. And I mean, what, once what it's is... launched, obviously there's. Um, I mean. The media hears about it, and you're getting one of those rare pre-launch uh, interviews, actually. Oh, yeah, here we go. The <laughs> listeners on the Actual Fluency Podcast are very privileged in this uh, aspect. Also, also, you know, thank you for talking about behind the scenes, because I know that, you know, it's not always uh, easy to, to talk about how things are behind the behind the scenes, but it's very it's very interesting to hear about. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you, yeah. do you think that it's going to... I mean, two hundred thousand people. It's not. A, I, I know it's. A, you you pulled that number out of the out of the air. But um, do you think that the course could potentially create some kind of Esperanto renaissance? In in the sense that I I, I know the popularity of Esperanto hasn't exactly been declining. But do you think it could spark something sort of really unexpected, and it would really hit some kind of mainstream level that we haven't seen before? I think pretty much anything is possible. I mean, even the Berlin Wall no one saw coming down the week before. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, I mean, also if you think about it, I, I think the biggest thing it has going for it is the, the fact that it should um, raise the reputation a lot for the language because uh, it's a very reputable place to go and uh, learn a language. And I mean, Wikipedia did that a lot too. But even then, uh, the average non-Esperanto speaker can't really see the 
um, the benefit of it because they just see that oh this this article is also translated as Pronto. okay that's cool right but um, but yeah I mean also when you're thinking about a language community that's I would guess around a million people when you get two hundred thousand people suddenly starting to learn it that's a hefty amount of people yeah so, so I really don't know what we could where it could <laughs> go and and I mean even looking into the text to speech thing if this might cause a company to make an Esperanto text-to-speech. It's another side effect that would be really helpful for us. So there's just right. many things that could happen. It's so we could see next see. year. Next year we could see fifty thousand people at the World Congress. <laughs> we could see the Rosetta Stone Esperanto. <laughs> and we could, Possibly. We could see. Uh, we could see. You know. Um, we could probably see it. See a lot more. Uh, youth organizations uh, pop up or just um, regional I mean I heard I heard recently from from a big language company I can't say which one uh, that um, they're planning this summer to release an Esperanto course so uh, it's something to be excited about oh, there that's interesting they, and they didn't ask you to voice it or produce it or anything I helped a bit but oh okay so I you... can't go into details unfortunately all right so, DNA but um, everything it's actually funny with the Universal Congresses because um, it actually it stopped growing not because the community stopped growing but because it's just really hard to get a location for more than five thousand people. <laughs> Who would have known? <laughs> right? Because like people see that like, oh, why doesn't why don't the Esperanto Congresses grow? But then when you're when you see like the organizational side of it and just find, trying to find just try to find a venue for five thousand people that's not say a stadium. Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean stadiums only, what hold I don't know fifty thousand people. That's a stadium. That's not yeah, a in conference the seats, environment. You could right. put fifty thousand people on the pitch, right? Right, exactly. I wouldn't hope so, anyway. But <laughs> I guess you can go to Vegas. I've seen, there are a lot of conference centers in Vegas that host huge conferences. Yeah, I mean, there's these big conference centers everywhere, but I think that most of the max most cities have the largest conference center around five thousand, right. or even two thousand. And then you have the problem of accommodation as well because even if right. you could find a building large enough you'd still need to have hotels or hostels be able to fit people just in in a vicinity of maybe you know 50 kilometers it couldn't be right outside the country or anything <laughs> absolutely it's interesting so polyglot gathering in in five years time you, <laughs> what what are you going to do when you hit that five thousand? <laughs> i'm not sure we want to i mean um so i mean i know another organization called um well they it's actually it's an iphone developer conference called 360 idev that they actually consider 360 to be the ideal number of participants in a conference because right. um with 360 you have enough people that you've got um a quite a lot of depth and lots of topics and you've got few enough people that you keep running into the same people again and again because right. also you can i've heard of people who go to say the universal congresso and I mean, if it's their first time, that can be really intimidating to be, especially if you don't speak Esperanto that well yet, to be in a, in a group of 2,000 people, for example. <laughs> it's just, um, <laughs> you can imagine. Singing and... the songs and <laughs> <laughs> waving the flags. No, but it, I, it's an interesting uh, discussion anyway, because the the less people there are, the more you can sort of, dive into topics you can right. you can get to know people more i mean i had trouble at the last gathering meeting everyone there just right. wasn't enough time mm -hmm. of course you you tend to stick to people you know you don't spend all day 
saying hi to new people but you know i would i would generally try to meet people all the time and i still found you know now uh, almost a year later i find that i talk to people who were there and i i don't even remember seeing them there so you know it's <laughs> it, it, even with 200 it's it's very difficult to meet, to talk to any, everyone right. so if you have like 300 and 360 maybe that's a good uh, core but on the other hand wouldn't it be kind of sad if let's say 500 people wanted to go mm -hmm. well i mean you can also have more than just have them more often right so i mean it's an, that's a possibility gathering it's always two there's always ways to scale things and, i mean you already have the the gathering on the conference right so we're excited to, um, about the polyglot conference coming up in new york city in october as well are you going so we're going yeah oh we're, you and we'll be we'll be happy to be casual participants there. Right. Maybe maybe speaking, but it's a whole different level than being one of the head organizers. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so. I mean, you were so busy last time. I remember <laughs> seeing you just—you never had a, a quiet moment, <laughs> right? <laughs> Showing up at whatever time in the morning, looking like you hadn't slept, <laughs> and probably because you hadn't. <laughs> right. It was a, a really intense uh, experience. It's too um, it's too easy to stay up till say three a.m. talking with polyglots and yeah <laughs> and realize oh it's nine I need to get up and set up that projector in the <laughs> room. right exactly fantastic well Chuck it's been a, an absolute pleasure as, as usual to hear about the gathering and the inner workings of uh, of Duolingo um, should we just remind people of the the important links here before we go if you go to polyglotberlin.com Register immediately. Just don't even think about it. Just register and hope that you get a spot. And the crowdfund for the high-quality videos, go to Indiegogo and search for Polygon Gathering. And you can spend as little as 10 euros and you get early access to the high-quality videos made by uh, professionals-ish. <laughs> They're very good. Um, well, people working at a film, I mean, study, students at a film school do very good work. Obviously. Right, exactly. And they want to prove themselves, so they might even overperform anyway. I mean, we're really excited. They came last year to shoot um, footage for a, a polyglot documentary already, so they're already really excited about languages. So we're not just talking about some group we found on the street that wants to <laughs> right. shoot our video. No, it's going to be great. And I, I think it's a good, uh, good cause. And you over i think the budget is 2700 is required and if you don't yeah. reach that the everything will be lost so that's right please go and and support the cause and right now we're just over 2000 right so it seems like we're going to make it with your help <laughs> <laughs> i already put my uh, german uh, what are they uh, are they red euro notes in there so uh, i hope that other people will will follow suit but um thank you very much for that well you're welcome uh thank you so much for for organizing everything and uh i look uh, i look forward to coming back to berlin okay we look forward to having you <laughs> thank you <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. If you would like to get more out of the podcast, check out the VIP Club by going to actualfluency.com slash VIP.